0: I'd like to thank you for inviting me on the show. It's such an honor to be here, and I'd just like to say that when I'm not playing Xbox with my mate Thor, I really like to listen to my favorite podcast, Pop Culture Pasta. Hey, Dave, I'm thinking about doing another revolution. Do you want to join up? I might need some help with organizing the pamphlets, though. Pop Culture
1: Pasta. So, Cody, if uh, when they make the inevitable movie about the life of Joey Chestnut, Okay. Champion eater, hot dog eater, or all the various things. I think they eat all kinds of things. Hero. When they make that movie, who would star in the starring role as middle-aged Joey Chestnut? And why would it be a balding Zac Efron? Oh, okay. <laughs> so you went that route. So- Cause it's not in development yet. It has to be in the future. And how awesome would it be? I'm telling you I think if Zac Efron beautified himself for this role got a little paunch, just a little bit cuz Joey Chestnut not a big dude uh, but then you know like had made it look like he had thinning hair how this would be an Oscar worthy thing. So I don't I, know anything about Joey Chestnut but there's got to be some tragedy in his life.
2: I had a different actor playing him. Oh, who who would you have? Okay, so again, you'd have to like shave his head. Mm-hmm. and keep the hair shorter okay but have miles teller play joseph chestnut <laughs> i mean you know miles is all in top gun shape though right now we're going to have to have a few years in between time and he is not a spring chicken either man
1: right? if he did that like if he if he somehow dad botted his
2: frame up Mm -hmm.
1: he could be like the next christian bale he could because christian bale did that through the course of his career
2: like a thousand times
1: yeah he'd get he got he got super big i'm sorry an alarm set for some reason
2: i don't know what (laughs) reason
1: (laughs) he got super big for a role and then he got super buff for bruce wayne batman and then he got super skinny for the machinist
2: grossly skinny oh yeah like dangerous like ewy the,
1: the the he probably did damage to himself you can't get that emaciated
2: no and then bulk up that much to play bruce
1: yeah he is uh he's a f- interesting dude is um, is uh christian bale yeah i'm excited about thor which you know we're recording this just i mean thor's about ready to come out and we've seen trailers, obviously, but I'm mostly I'm I'm most excited about Thor: Love and Thunder because of Christian Bale. Because while I think he's a little unhinged, um, I also recognize that you can't take your eyes off him on screen. hmm Just an amazing actor, but that's because he's he's really committed.
2: I had heard it reported that um, he has not seen any of the Marvel. Movies, the MCU, didn't really know about it. Yeah, he's, well, his kids a, like, he, had, to convince, he, they had him. to convince him to do it. They basically said, you have to. Um, Which, A, I 100% would have guessed Christian Bale does not have time for comic book movies. Mm-hmm. But B, I'm glad his kids convinced him for this. Yeah,
1: Let's get to the news. Okay. That's why we're here. By the way, this is the Pop Culture Pastor podcast, in case you've made it this far and are still listening. Uh, My name is Dave. That's Cody. I'm present. We are both licensed ministers. This is true. Yeah, we're pastors and uh, we love pop culture. And so, welcome. All are welcome here. We love to talk about pop culture. We will, because of our aforementioned uh, careers, and uh life commitments we uh this is a safe podcast to listen to with your children mostly spoilers yeah yeah i mean i can't guarantee we won't talk about some themes that might you know that might they might not understand or you know but we're not gonna say any bad words yeah or talk about anything you know too beyond the pale it's how we roll we're just geeks and we like geeky things uh and it's okay to be a geek these days this is, this is like a uh, a celebration of geekitude.
2: Do you think it started when Weird Al released White and Nerdy? <laughs> no.
1: No. <laughs> um, Weird Al is uh, a, uh, in the pantheon of geeks,
2: though. He's For on the sure. Mount
1: Rushmore of geeks. Oh, Mount, I, Ge- Mount Geekmore,
2: if you will. I feel it started to gain some traction after that song was released.
1: Well, that's in your
2: head maybe i just was more (laughs) accepting of myself after that song
1: oh man something happened though because here's the thing if let's delve into geek history for a minute uh i grew up on comic books i was an only child son of a single mother who worked a lot and comic books and tv and movies were like my companion constant companion and comic books collecting comic books was not cool not cool when i was growing up back in the 80s you were not considered cool nowadays you know kids reading graphic novels whatever like it's cool now because of the movies you know these billion dollar movies that are made from these stories uh but uh back then going to the comic shop and that stuff but that was not considered cool but man it was where i found my home my place and I just loved going to the comic book shop and picking up all the issues of the new stuff I wanted, and looking through the old ones, and and uh, at some point in my lifetime, though, they started making these movies that I only dreamed of them making when I read them, mm. I read the comics back when I was a kid. And now we're in the day and age we're living to we're living in today, and where all of this is huge business. Like you be even millions of people even collect Funko's, which are basically like. Little bobblehead dolls made from geek characters.
2: Exactly.
1: Film, comics, yeah.
2: Wrestling.
1: What a time to be alive for geeks. This is. We treasure this. We treasure this time. The best of times,
2: the worst of times. That was mostly the best of times. We'll name it and claim it.
1: (laughs) All right, let's get to the news. Um, Listen, as far as sequels go, When you, when you get to the sequel in space, that's usually a sure sign that you've reached the point of no return. Like I immediately think of like the Friday, the
2: 13th in space. I don't even remember what that one was called. Oh yeah. Insanity. Um, the most recent fast and furious movie. We should do a rewatch of that. Had a space like segment. That's unbelievable
1: why are there why is there even talk of making more once you hit that you there should be no more
2: well this next one's the last one and also mm-hmm. supposedly sure it is um they're uh bringing back um what's his name's character um paul walker paul walker's but character he's dead. yes but they'll use his brother and cgi uh that's supposedly gross. ah that's gross Rumors. i don't like that i'm with
1: the people who are like not so sure about stuff like that yeah uh, it's one thing to do it with like mark hamill and luke skywalker on the mandalorian like that that's all well and good but once you're dealing with like if you said to do that with t'challa the black panther and chadwick boseman mm, no no thanks man that's weird i don't like that i Again, don't know. This is coming from someone who badly wishes we had more T'Challa in the MCU. But at the same time, yeah. Some people get really worked up about that. On Twitter, there is a large fight happening on Twitter currently uh, with people who are upset and angry that they won't recast T'Challa and are upset and angry that it's rumored that Shuri's going to be the Black Panther in the new movie coming out. And I'm just like I'm. A, I'm the guy on the sidelines who's like I don't understand how people get so worked up about it. Why are you so angry about it? I'm a comic book geek, so yeah. Do I wish we would have gotten more T'Challa in the
2: MCU? Sure. Am I mad that Shuri's going to be the Black Panther in the movie? No. I'm a comic book geek. Um, I was going to say like even if you're a fan of the movie, T'Challa doesn't start off as the Black Panther. It's his dad. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, passing the mantle down, I think is fine,
1: yeah, I think it's just we don't know we don't know how to under uh, we don't know how to process our our sadness. This is true, yeah, Chadwick, we miss Chadwick uh anyways, i I brought up the space theme because we're kind of all over the place uh, today. uh, audiences increasingly happy. to to walk past their own logic. They are now clamoring for something new from one Mr. Nicholas cage. Okay. And this is, this is, it's, it's a cage of If you will, (laughs) we're in the middle of it. (laughs) Uh, There has been some rumbling face off two is already happening. That's confirmed. It's happening. That is something that is absolutely happening with Cage's return. But Michael Bay has another idea. Uh, he has something in mind for the rock too. And it's all gotten people talking about, well, do we need a Comic con air to first of all, the answer to that question is always yes. Yes. We need Nick Cage with the flowing mullet. <laughs> maybe one of the best gifts ever made yes uh we need con air too. simon west the director of the original con air pitched this idea for a potential con air 2 during an interview with screen daily he said quote i would do if do it if it was completely turned on its head con air in space a studio version where they're all robots or the convicts are reanimated as super convicts or the good guys are bad guys and the bad guys are good guys. Something
2: shocking. If it was clever writing, it could work. End quote. So I'm here for Cage in space. Like you can How have- How could you not be? You could have Con Air 2. You can have another national treasure where this time the treasure's on the moon. <laughs> That's why we went to the moon.
1: Yes, yes,
2: yes. And so more Nick Cage in space.
1: We just need Nick Cage sequels, all of them having to do with space. Yes. So Moonstruck, yes. Share in Nick Cage in space. Uh, gone in 60 seconds, although it would be a little derivative
2: of the Fast and Furious
1: one that just went to space.
2: But it'd be so much better because Gone in 60 Seconds was better than Fast and Furious 1.
1: Pig in space. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we could go way back here. We could go
1: back to, um, oh, man, what are some old Nick Cage movies? Um, well, The Rock in space. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> oh, man, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, this director goes on to say that he thinks – He could come up with a story that works. I don't. If I'm being honest, only if you make it tongue in cheek, like he says satire, which I think is a way, good way to put it. Yeah, but yeah, make it so ridiculous and fantastical that you you'd be like
2: you're in on the joke. We could do raising Arizona in space. (laughs) Listen, (laughs) Cohen Brothers. I
1: am totally here for any sort of updated take sequel for Raising Arizona. That would be amazing. I mean, you could bring, <laughs> think about who you bring back in that film. You, so Nick Cage and, and Holly Hunter, whose child would now be fully grown and an adult. And then you could bring back John Goodman and the other guy who's in, well, a lot of the Nick Cage movies, actually. He's in The Rock uh he's in a lot of michael bay movies the other guy john goodman's criminal partner i don't even i don't even know his name but he's in a lot of that stuff actually he may be dead so let's not bring back that guy now that i'm thinking about it he might have passed away i don't remember i'd have to remember his name first (laughs) but ah racing arizona sequel
2: just forget about the space part i'm here for that We're all in on the cage Yeah. I think more
1: than anything else, we're just big fans of Nick Cage. Big fans. Um, Let's move on. Chris Pratt did an interview for Men's Health. As one does. Yeah. Uh, And he said in a recent interview that, well, they were talking about Guardians of the Galaxy 3 being the last one. At least of the team in this form.
2: I was going to say for at least James Gunn and the team as constructed.
1: Yeah, because in the comic books, lots of different members of that team. This is just kind of one iteration of it. Uh, But he said that franchises are over. He said the franchises are over. After Chris Hemsworth uh, spoke out about his tenure in the Marvel Cinematic Universe may soon, soon coming to maybe an end. Chris pratt who plays peter quill star lord in the mcu um was talking about it in this interview realizing that his version of guardians of the galaxy is coming to an end and his time may be coming to to an end in the mcu but then he said yeah that the franchises are over now cody what i would say is uh i mean no Just because your franchise is ending doesn't mean... The
2: MCU is alive and well. Maybe franchises are over for all (laughs) Chris's.
1: Chris Pratt, Chris
2: Evans, and Chris Hemsworth. All without franchises at the moment. I mean, the Top Gun sequel just made a billion dollars. Literally... Thomas Cruz is releasing another Mission Impossible. Yeah. I, it seems to me that franchises are about the only thing we want to see. Um, they made way too many of the expendable movies. They keep making Fast and Furious movies. Currently, the hottest thing in the culture is Stranger Things. Um, Creed Season four. Yeah. Um, I was going to say Rocky and the Creed movies. They're, they keep going. Um Yeah, although they haven't made a sequel or a franchise out of Over the Top yet, and I'm Mm. here for that one.
1: Now, this may have been taken out of context, and probably was. Okay. He may have been referring to just that his franchises that he's a part of are coming to an end, because he just did what was, God have mercy on us, hopefully, the last Jurassic Park movie. Jurassic world rest in peace, <laughs> rest, just rest. <laughs> just, just don't make any more of them. Um, and so we just did the last one of that. He's they either have wrapped or are getting close to wrapping on guardians. What will be his last guardians movie? Yeah. Cause I don't think he's under contract for Marvel for anything more, but he will come like, listen, they're all building. The MC is building towards the secret wars. That's the next big, connecting event that they're they seem to be building towards so he'll probably make at least a cameo or two here and there
2: i'm really hoping they do go to secret wars oh you don't have to hope that's that's a that's a sure bet because right cody happens to have a graded first <laughs> edition of comic one of secret wars as
1: usual cody's only interested <laughs> in his financial investment in his geekitude. um yeah that's yeah i told you that's the one you want to get great at. um
2: i was in on that decision yeah. it's an 8.6 if you are looking yeah uh
1: the next news item is uh, in a in a delaware mall they were uh, it's at the concord mall in wilmington oh wilmington delaware and a uh there was something behind a wall there was a sealed off area behind a wall that was forgotten as the mall was getting renovated and so a curious contractor uh opened a locked door that nobody went in (laughs) and and what he found shocked him um it was a vintage burger king everything was perfectly preserved they just they just like walled it up um this is amazing retro wall decor wooden booths old soda machines straight out of the 80s apparently the restaurant opened in 1987 during the glory days uh and 13 years ago the restaurant closed and was sealed off behind a wall and they went back there
2: now people are asking for tours (laughs) um this is all because of y2k do they They should
1: reopen it, and then they could make the food that they used to make at Burger King back in the 80s when it was good.
2: Um, Literally, if I was Burger King, I would say, we will buy the space, we will open it back up, and we're keeping everything as is. Yeah. This goes hand-in-hand with
1: my Taco Bell retro idea. It does. Let me ask a serious question. Am I just getting old? Am I just getting grumpy old man? Or does all fast food not taste nearly as good as when we were kids?
2: Well, I blame the trans fat craze where we had to cut everything out. Yeah,
1: was that it? That they just don't make it in like the, the real good tasting fats anymore? Yeah. Is that, is that the reason? Because McDonald's fries, I mean, there's tons of stuff that just doesn't, it doesn't taste as good as it used to taste. Um, and well, you think I would have stopped eating at those places, but I I didn't. No, and you shouldn't. You don't change. I mean, I probably should. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, so you're saying that no, it's not. I'm not just being grumpy old man.
2: No, um, and I mean like Wendy's changed not only their salt, but they changed like how their fries were made and. All the good starchy stuff, they have changed. Yeah. How dare they? I'm going
1: to get a t-shirt specially made that just says, ask me about my Taco Bell retro idea. (laughs) I just like having excuses to talk about it, but I'm not going to talk about it. If you
2: had the shirt, then you could tag Taco Bell on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.
1: I have tagged them everywhere. Keep doing this. Literally, everyone I tell this idea to thinks it's a can't miss idea. And Taco Bell just will not bite. They will not bite on my idea. Oh, yeah. I don't even want to make money off it. I don't even want to be the guy that owns it or anything. Just do it. And, and I'll just take credit for the idea. That's enough for me. I mean, we live in a virtue signaling world. I would definitely just take the credit for it, and that'll be enough. Or Just give me all the Taco Bell retro gear. Swag.
2: Yeah, I was going to say give Dave all the shirts and hats his heart desires and like 50% off whenever he visits a Taco Bell Retro.
1: And make it close enough that I can actually go to one. Please. Yeah, not like LA. LA doesn't deserve a Taco Bell Retro. They don't want the old stuff. Ew. They want all the newfangled tofu burritos. That's nasty. I know you, California people. I just want the old-fashioned... Give me a Bell Beefer. <laughs> give me the old... That's right. Taco Bell used to have a taco burger called the Bell Beefer. Give me an Extreme Nachos. Give me a Cholito. Uh, just not now. Not in the middle of summer. Nobody wants a Cholito right now.
2: Yeah. This...
1: It has potential. Okay. Uh, next news item, Cody. I have a theory that on any sort of talk about a remake or a sequel way down the line. So like we just talked about Top Gun and we just alluded to Top Gun. Uh, the people who are attached or were attached to the old version who, who say they're down the quickest are usually the most desperate. They're usually the ones that will be like, Oh, my career. I got, I got nothing going on.
2: So yes, I'm all for that. Um, I would say in most cases, yes. Yeah, it's like- um, Because Ghostbusters- For
1: years, Dan Aykroyd was clamoring for the Ghostbusters uh,
2: sequel. Yes, and Bill Murray's like, eh, can't be (laughs) bothered for this. Because
1: Bill Murray had a flourishing career, and Dan Aykroyd did not. Uh, The reason I mention that is because um, apparently there's a Who's the Boss sequel series- in the works. Now, you're never sure of whether it's a real thing that's happening or whether the desperate stars of the old show <laughs> have have actually started the chatter. And in this case, I'm talking about Tony Danza to some extent, and maybe to a larger extent, Alyssa
2: Milano. For a while, Tony Danza was like a substitute teacher.
1: Yeah. See, Tony seemed it seemed to be that Tony Danza was quite content to live his life because yeah you you remember a few years back there were articles about him being a teacher and he looked happy now Alyssa milano on the other hand let's talk about Alyssa milano for a second regardless of her politics the fact that she's still a name that people know because she's really outspoken on twitter when she doesn't really have to be just screams
2: i just need to be relevant to people um well when you were on a hit show like Charmed <laughs> and we're in like one of the collect phone call commercials <laughs> back in the late 90s early 00s <sighs> you were at the top of the pinnacle of influence and so it's hard to let go of that Dave Look look I'm this
1: is coming from someone like, look, I don't hate Alyssa Milano. This is coming from someone who in middle school was just in love with Alyssa Milano, as most middle school boys around my time were. In the middle of the glory days of Who's the Boss, man, everyone, every boy was in love with Alyssa Milano. But do we need this? Do we need a Who's the Boss sequel?
2: Um, In case you didn't know who the boss was, I guess. It was Judith Light. The actress who played Angela, as Tony Danza <laughs> called her, Angela.
1: But it is Angela, the way he said it.
2: Um which, She was the boss. If you haven't seen Community, watch the whole series of Community, and you <laughs> will get Abed explaining in every <laughs> sense of the word, Angela is the boss.
1: Yes, absolutely. Abed's got it figured out. Y- yeah. Um, but yeah, the funniest part of that show was like Mona, Angela's mom, who, who the redhead, redheaded yes. older lady, who's surely not alive now. Um,
2: I was going to say, is she alive?
1: I mean, if she is, she's extremely old. But she was the best part of that show, in my opinion. Uh, the boys, the the so the younger brother is out there somewhere, but I don't know that he's acting anymore.
2: Uh, no, I don't remember his name. I don't remember his name. Okay. So Mona died two or three years ago. Oh, she was 89. What Uh, a life though. 89. And she was on that funny show. Soap. Yeah. She was actually a accomplished comedic
1: actress. Yeah. Lots of stuff. Yeah. She was in lots of things and was great. Every time she appeared in something, she was the best part about that show. Tony Danza was like the star of the show and Tony's just, you know, like he's just likable. People just like him. Plus the way he talks.
2: Um, Angela, (laughs) Samantha. (laughs) I feel if Sylvester Stallone lost his voice, you get Tony Danza (laughs) as the fill in.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Maybe they're both from Philly, right? Or, I believe well,
2: Rocky's from Philly.
1: I don't know if Sylvester Stallone was lived
2: there. Um, and I know Tony Danza played for the Eagles. Wait, in, for in, real? In that one movie? <laughs> uh, I think, he didn't really play for the Eagles. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was a trash truck driver that she, then like got to become their kicker.
1: You said that like Tony Danza <laughs> was a member of the Philadelphia <laughs> Eagles. <laughs>
2: He essentially was.
1: (laughs) All right. Okay. This is a good time to end this news segment. Hey, we're going to go out to the lobby, get ready to answer some of your listener questions. Meet us out there, shall you? Will you? Can you? Yes. Yes. Okay, we are out in the lobby. We did our new segment, Cody. Now we're out in the lobby and your yeah. wife your wife was out here. Which was a pleasant surprise. Yeah. Just like last week, my wife was out in the lobby just waiting for us. Very nice. Leah, welcome. Hi. How, how are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm very good. Leah is Cody's wife. This feels awesome. It does. Yeah. <laughs> just feels right. Um. This is the place where we come and get our snacks and answer listener questions, and so we're just gonna we're gonna get right down to that. the The first question comes from Kyle Kessinger uh, from from I I think I've been saying he's from Lawrence, but I actually think he's from he lives in maybe Tonganoxie. Okay, that's a ways away. I looked on his Facebook and I thought, oh, he doesn't he doesn't live in Lawrence anymore. Uh, but anyways, he says, a while back, Barstool Sports posted their top five greatest TV theme songs. Oh. Uh, their, their top five was Cheers, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Scrubs, Full House, and Family Matters.
2: Okay, I agree with at least three of them. He
1: says, he goes on to say, any list like this that does not include Night Court, Dukes of Hazard, or Magnum P.I. is invalid. What are your top five? Top five Ooh. TV theme songs. Night Court was catchy. It was. I don't know if it'd be in my top five. I don't know. I mean, but I respect Kyle's opinion.
2: I do too. Um, so I'll stick with Scrubs. Mm-hmm. Ted Lasso will make an appearance because oh, you get Mumford. Yeah. That's a newer one. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a great song. It is. I have it on my uh, Apple playlist. Side note.
1: Are theme songs, TV theme songs, not as relevant now because we just skip the credits with the little button on the streaming?
3: I'm gonna have to say yes.
1: Yeah. Oh because
3: we do. I think we're so eager to get to the TV show that we just skip.
0: Uh
2: Okay, I will point out that there's another new show that makes me watch the credits because it's such a good intro. Mm. And that will be Peacemaker. Oh, cody's love of peacemaker
1: returns to the pod you haven't does. talked about that in a, <laughs> in a while
2: oh i'm so excited for if and when season two comes out yeah i still don't watch season one um i'm planning you, on it when you watch season one you will hear the theme song and be like this is a great song to go with this intro dance
1: i need a good uh, a good time period to binge it I don't, I don't think i'm interested in just peace watching it you like to you know, once every once in a while. I think I need to binge it.
2: Um, now, did you watch it with them, Leah, or? No, you're shaking your head.
3: I did not love it.
2: <laughs> I, <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> I oh, it was hilarious. It. Um, good Times will also make my list for theme songs. Oh, yeah. Good Times. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Have you, is that so five? I, 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 I got five. four. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Um, Maybe another one will come to you. If we, if we'll we, go cheers cheers I'll put cheers up there. yeah i think cheers definitely deserves so that's five to be
1: in the top five that was one they got right leah do you have a this you is, have like just it doesn't have to be five what are your what are your mount rushmore of tv theme songs
3: cheers is my number one because that's on cheers is on my bucket list for a reason but we'll save that for another day cheers is number one mm-hmm. um is it community
1: Oh, oh, Community yeah. has a great one. That's really catchy. It is. It's yeah.
3: phenomenal. Um,
1: do we know who sings that? That's a real uh, song. I do. I have oh, it. He's going to look it up. You of keep course. going. He,
3: he does. He does this to me all the time. We we go back and forth about music. Cody likes to make up his own words to uh-huh. songs. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, I You know, I'm going to struggle on this. I'm just, I don't know. I
2: mean, the 88. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, you know, I find... You're either someone that's like really into the theme in the beginning, or it just doesn't, that's not, it just, you're not as into that. I don't know. Uh, Because I can remember even in the old stuff, like Cheers, people used to go crazy. I remember when I was a kid, you heard the Hill Street Blues theme Mm -hmm. on the radio. Yeah.
0: They Mm -hmm. would play,
1: do, 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 do. I mean, it was very elevatory music. You know, um, looking back on it now, I wouldn't put it in my top five, but it was good.
2: I mean, on our oldie station in town, you hear the Sanford and Son theme song for oh. uh, like the uh, swap and talk hour. <laughs> Man, I think the Sanford and Son
1: theme has to be in my top five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That one's so good. You you used to hear Greatest American Hero theme on the radio mm-hmm. a lot?
2: Um, I mean, everyone knows the Beverly Hillbillies.
1: Yeah not, yeah, not not my top five, not my Mm-mm. favorite. Here's here's my favorite. Cheers, which you mentioned. Um, man, I hadn't thought about Ted Lasso, but that's good. What about the the show we're actually gonna talk about later? Stranger Things. Yeah. I think that theme's fantastic in a retro sort of EDM sort of yes. way. Mm-hmm.
3: I like a I like a good score. Like, you know, I words aren't necessary for yeah.
1: me. Yeah, me either.
2: The Game of Thrones theme mm-hmm. was really, really good. Although. It depends on how you're judging it, but maybe the most iconic theme would be The Office.
3: I was gonna say The Office.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's that's like the one all the kids play on the piano
1: when yeah. they start learning to play piano. Now they'll they'll play the theme from The Office. Kyle's right. Duke's a Hazard, even though it hasn't held up over time. Uh, people love the Duke's a Hazard theme. I mean, Waylon Jennings. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was really iconic when I was younger. Um, I mentioned Cheers, uh, a big one for me was Smallville remy zero save me Mm -hmm. was a was a i love that song that's still on my my itunes list why are you laughing (laughs) it's
2: a good song oh it's a
1: real song it wasn't like you know they had made the song already and then the tv show picked it up as their theme kind of like friends did yeah friends i mean if we're being honest the friends theme the song probably should be mentioned when you're talking about an all-time list, it's just it got so played out.
2: Oh, yeah,
1: it's yes. annoying to me now. Yeah, I don't I I that I skip those I skip those beginning credits big time well, when it, I, when it's on.
3: I think people expect it to be on your list. I think mm-hmm. I think you The people, Rembrandts. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: But that song was huge. That got played on the radio mm-hmm. constantly. Depending on what station you are listening to, I guess, but um yeah, all those are good. Community, I'd forgotten how good that one was. Magnum P.I., Kyle mentioned Magnum oh, P.I. Yeah. That That's was a, a classic. That was a classic as well. Uh, but there were a lot of those kind without words, like mm-hmm. Leah's saying. Um, I, I can still hum the airwolf theme. <laughs>
2: you know, I could I could do the whole thing, but I won't bore you. Um, I think I could still whistle the Andy Griffith show. <laughs> so. Iconic. It is It's iconic, man. There's so many to choose from there, Kyle. Oh, and if we go like tween TV shows, um, you're going to get um, like iCarly's theme song. Oh yeah, that one's catchy. Yeah, I have, I have no idea what that one is. I'm too old for that. that you one, are, but yeah. there's a target millennial audience. I'll that tell will you, appreciate
1: it. They have Full House and Family
2: Man. I was going to say Full House on their list here.
1: I think the one that I, I feel like's unforgivable, that is not on this list, um, that would have to be my top five is the Jeffersons.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Moving on up. Moving on up. That one, That one is both iconic and just really good. Yeah,
2: soulful. I dig it. Different strokes are the facts of life. With, they, they are both competing on my list. <laughs> like Those don't hold up at all. I mean, they sound totally 80s. They do. And, but they're, they're beloved. I would say definitely they're beloved. Just know the facts of life are all about you. <laughs> <laughs> you take the good, you take the bad. <laughs> okay. Um, that was a good question.
1: That's a good question. Kyle comes with the good, good questions. Uh, Scott Patrick Dillon, our friend Scott Patrick Dillon, he asks, and I believe this is in reference to Riva. On the new uh, oh the new Kenobi series, have you watched that?
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. What event would cause you to turn to the dark side and betray the Jedi Order, and who would be your Obi Wan? <laughs> so, what event would cause you to turn the dark side, and who would you be seeking to pay for it? Mm. Or is, or is that not what he's asking? Maybe Obi Wan is, uh, I don't know. I think he's saying that. Who would you be seeking out, looking for? Like, because Reva spends the first mini episodes like. So on a I took to find his Kennedy.
2: question to be more like, if you go all Darth Vader, who is going to be your mentor that you have turned against? Oh
1: yeah 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 okay right so it's not a Reva it's a it's an Anakin question
2: okay Th- that's the way I took it but I could be way off
1: um yeah well. I just thought of Reva because, well, the writing wasn't good for her character. So the first few episodes, she's all about finding Kenobi. And, then when, and then when she Kenobi. makes the heel turn, it's all about Anakin. Yes. Because um, she's not a well-written character. But let's not talk about that now. <laughs> um, yeah, you're probably right. He probably means Anakin. So in this case, what event would cause you to turn to the dark side and betray the Jedi Order? And who in your life would be your Obi-Wan?
2: And the moment that Jar Jar Binks shows up on the scene, (laughs) I have gone to the dark
1: side. (laughs) Well, let's be really clear. Um, From the beginning, Obi-Wan is very annoyed by Jar Jar in episode one. (laughs) He doesn't want any part of Jar Jar. Qui-Gon's the one who's like, you know, all guru-y and "Uh, patience, Padawan. (laughs) Yeah. Love, Jar Jar. Qui-Gon is like the lovey, the, the all about love pastor. Right, he is no anger, just love.
3: Somebody in this room loves Jar Jar. You love Jar Jar, yes.
1: Oh. We're a house divided. Well, he appreciates that, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I never minded him. Like I remember after that, after that movie came out, and there was so much vitriol although looking back now and comparing it to times now it wasn't really that much people go way off more off the deep end now but for back then there was a lot of hate for Jar Jar and I was just like eh like these kids these movies he Lucas made these movies for kids to begin with so yeah it's only natural that you would have and 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 the toy thing like he's he's he makes a good toy and he's a character kids love.
2: Yeah although he's he's a character of him of just a whole bunch of different things yeah yeah so mm. Leah what would do you have an answer for this? Leah's not going to the dark side.
3: Yeah, it'd be really hard.
2: <laughs> she is Yoda.
1: I think um, this is like the Jedi Order is really comparable to Christianity in my opinion. Oh yeah. Um, and the reasoning that I would that I would be turned to the dark side might be, like a really relevant reason. Like the Jedi, ref- it, throughout the course of the prequels, you find a Jedi order that is very kind of almost obtuse. Mm-hmm. They're like, don't get emotionally involved. Like, and Anakin, I think actually the hidden secret of the Star Wars Skywalker story is that Anakin actually kind of bit that where he was right. Yeah. That, that that the Jedi being and I think that's explored a little bit in the Kenobi series where Kenobi actually loves Anakin. Mm-hmm. He's still reaching out for him, right I think I think the the mistake the Jedi make is that they're unwilling to love. now I've heard people say um, it's just that they can't form attachments, right they,
2: but I'm like, no. Form attachments. Love people. Yeah, Error on the side of love. And I mean, the Jedi Order is very pious.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they're very pharisaical.
2: Yeah, I'm not for it. So I, again, would be going little Annie out there. And and who would
1: be my Obi-Wan?
2: It'd probably be Mace Windu. I don't like his attitude.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I just don't like the way he talks to Anakin. I'm probably going after... Old man Yoda. Yoda's kind of annoying in the prequels, too. Yeah. But mostly just because he looks so wildly different from episode one to episode two. Yeah, that annoys me. Uh, I know you went from puppet to special effect or whatever happened there. Mm, hate, least anger. <laughs> <laughs> he
0: didn't
2: even look like any kind of Yoda we'd seen before. Which I... I'm still angry about. Completely it. do love the fact that he got annoyed with Luke so much. He's like, I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> no more questions. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Sleep. Sleep. I must <laughs> sleep. I must.
1: That sound. that's, I feel like that way with my children all the time. All right. Do we have a, uh, any more, any more answers? Any more? No. No. Okay. I'm out. Let's just wrap up this, uh, this segment of the lobby. Cody, I'm going to go talk to Sam. Okay. To the Geek Phone. Geek before phone. we talk about Stranger Things, geek phone. geek
0: phone.
1: All right, I'm here with Sam. Uh Sam, how are you doing, buddy?
4: Oh, I'm doing just fine. It was my birthday a few days ago, so it was it was nice. And I saw, and, that, uh, I saw yes. that on the
1: Facebook, uh happy birthday. Um, well,
4: th- well thank you. <laughs>
1: um we're talking about Stranger Things this week. Are you a fan? Oh
4: yes. I, oh yes. I've watched all the previous seasons. I'm still in the middle of this one, but I've, but I am way very familiar with everything about this wonderfully crafted series.
1: Mm, Well, I'll make sure if you, since you haven't watched all the way through this one, I'll make sure I don't spoil anything for you, but what are your, what do you think about stranger things?
4: It is a nostalgia trip back into a time when we, when retro, was cool and videos were abundant and we always and people always gathered more together instead of just on a screen and such mm-hmm. it harkens back to an age of that was the 80s that may be a little bit cheesy now but still has so many moments that are just impossible not to like
1: yeah it always so so when i watch it as a child of the 80s sam uh for me it is very just nostalgic it's the trip down memory lane and they get a lot right Do the Duffer brothers. Uh, they wonderful uh, students of the eighties. Um, but I always imagine for someone like you or someone a little bit younger, it is a little bit different to watch.
4: Yes, indeed. It is different to watch, but yet the stories themselves are timeless mm. and ageless in so many ways and, and universal, as well, because regardless of what era this story takes place in, the 80s, today, the 50s, the future, the past, the present, it it, it has universal themes and values and struggles that these kids go through and endure. And yeah. as we see them get older, we sort of see a bit of ourselves in these in these characters. So regardless of what decade you came from, you can relate to them in so many ways.
1: Yeah, Sam, it's interesting that we, this crosses paths with a lot of things we talked about last week with our summer movie pod that there's there's this coming of age aspect to to stranger things that fit that that we determined was a big part of the summer movies we remembered and loved especially in the 80s.
4: Yes, indeed. Especially this season seems to hearken maybe a bit of John Hughes films with films such as Breakfast Club and Sixteen Candles and Pretty in Pink and Ferris Bueller's Day Off and perhaps a tinge of Home Alone, though this is in the horror genre as well.
1: Yeah, as the kids get older on Stranger Things, yeah, the the romance part of it starts to rear its head. And yeah, yeah, I can definitely see a lot of John
4: Hughes. Yes, yes, indeed. I think, like John Hughes, the Duffer Brothers are able to really tap into the angst and the struggles of youth itself. And and isn't it means- it, yeah,
1: yeah, isn't it amazing how they can do that, Sam, while telling you this kind of scary, supernatural, otherworldly story, and yet it's it's a very it's a very intimate story about yeah. this group and their group of friends.
4: Oh, indeed, indeed, without a shadow of doubt. See the, see, the world, see, the monsters in the film and the creatures that appear can also be a metaphor, if you will, or a manifestation of one's insecurities and fears hmm. and doubts and struggles that they endure. Or The monster can represent insecurity or the monster can represent uncertainty. Depression depression or struggle or triumph or anger mm. or anger or d- despair or or even triumph if you want
1: i think i think what i hear you saying is it's kind of like a modern day parable
4: yeah it's a modern day parable of our inner struggles and mm-hmm. our insecurities in a way and how and how sometimes And how it's interesting is that a lot of the monsters are hidden in the dark for most of the time in the show. They don't appear until a few minutes late, until a few episodes later. But that is actually what makes it more brilliant, because sometimes it's what you don't see that is more frightening than what you do see. Sometimes it is the mystery that is more terrifying than the reveal,
1: yeah, absolutely, Sam. And that works such, it, it's such a good parable uh, slash metaphor for someone struggling with depression, where it's it's often unseen to a lot of the people around them. Uh, it's why we have such a hard time, um, you know, when someone's struggling that with the people around them often have a hard time even diagnosing that they were going through something.
4: Yes. And it's also interesting is that is that when it comes to these films, it took me a while to try to figure out Why do people like these dread, these things about dread and bleakness in their films? Why are people so craving for these kinds of things? And then it occurred to me, a lot of people are drawn to that kind of bleakness. Mm -hmm. They love the idea of uncertainty, of venturing into that unknown landscape, though dreadful, still They are curious of not knowing what is going to happen next. They love that. They love that. And it is a thrill for them.
1: And that was really indicative of this kind of entertainment in the 80s, where you had the group of kids who go on an adventure, like take the Goonies, which is at at heart, very lighthearted. It's a very lighthearted adventure, but it has real stakes. They're being hunted by real murderous criminals who want to catch them and do bad things to them. Um, yes. And so, so even, even in that we did, we liked, and for whatever reason in the eighties, we liked seeing kids go through dread. I don't know what that was about, but
4: yes. And speaking of dread, have you ever seen the thing? First of all?
1: Uh, yes, I have. It's been a while.
4: Yeah. Well, stranger things, of course, obviously borrows heavily a lot from, from that when it comes to the creature design. hmm but that is an example of what I think the Duffer brothers try to do, as well as in John Carpenter's The Thing. Though as dread as it is, people are drawn to that. They love that idea of not knowing what's going to happen next. Yeah, yeah. That's what. That's why people love those films, such as The Thing and The Fly and, and oh, I don't know, Dragon Slayer. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, people you, like you mentioned that the Duffer Brothers kind of model things after that. Uh, they do homages, if you will. What yes. other homages do you see that the Duffer Brothers oh. do in this show?
4: Oh, oh, great many. One of them I saw recently was Nightmare on Elm Street.
0: Mm,
4: yes, Nightmare on Elm Street. If you looked at this season, there are characters that get killed off, sort of by their dreams or by their hallucinations of some mm. sort, yeah. echoing that of Freddy Cougar's tactic.
1: Yeah. And of course, Freddy Krueger, the guy who played him, actually gets a cameo. I don't know if you've made it to that
4: part yet, but
1: he does. Yeah, cameo heard, I heard. I heard.
4: He's the one with his, he's the one with his eyes sewed. Mm-hmm. He's the one with his eyes sewed. But but you can tell the Duffer Brothers borrowed heavily from 80s slasher films in this season, especially in especially Nightmare on Elm Street, right? mm-hmm. and the idea of of how sometimes the enemy is within you, sort yeah. of.
1: Yeah. Well, in the enemy, uh, you know, I I don't want to I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, that you can become the enemy in in a lot of senses. uh, Yes, it is.
4: It is the idea of man versus self. Yeah.
1: And that's explored in multiple ways as the season goes on. And and you'll come to that when you come to that. But again, I don't want to ruin anything for you. But um, like a lot of shows explore that kind of uh, viewpoint where like take The Walking Dead, for instance.
4: Now, that's um, a show I can't stand watching. No, that's yeah, a show I, I can't.
1: I'm not a particularly a big fan of it, but I am fascinated by the idea of the story they're trying to tell, which is to say the zombies are bad, but usually what causes them the most problems are other humans.
4: <laughs> yes, they're trying to i i know it's a film, it's a show I can't watch. you see, I can't do post apocalyptic stuff. I just can't, especially now, yeah. Yeah. Especially now, but I see what they're getting. Getting the because it's because. But anyway, with Stranger Things, it doesn't focus so much on the supernatural, but a lot more on the intimate, nostalgic things yeah. that 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 of what it was like to be a kid in the '80s and how sadly how vulnerable you were if you were different. Mm. Yeah, about about how different people were very vulnerable during that time.
1: Yeah, we didn't have the the anti-bullying crusades yet that, that yes. we have now.
4: Yes. And it just and it's just especially when I came to the part with Eleven, you know, sometimes I think he, she could have just walked away. She could have just walked away from that skate rink, mm-hmm. rink. She could have just walked away and went to Finn. But but then again, without any of that brutality thing that she did, there would be no story. There would be nothing that moves the story along. So, as dreading as, 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 a fr- as you know, sad as it was for her, it is something that is imperative in moving the story along and moving yeah. the story forward.
1: Absolutely, and she gets a taste of being what it feels like to be powerless. That the, yes, the, the rest of us are kind of there. You know, we've all felt that way.
4: That sense of that sense of weakness. That mm-hmm. sense of vulnerability. That sense of vulnerability and the and this idea and this idea of herself and trying to find herself but it's like but wait a minute with your powers gone you don't have to worry about you don't have to worry about all those ticks any longer you don't have to worry about those things but actually she does miss those powers she Mm -hmm. does want them back yes back because it makes her feel special yeah yep but anyway but anyway like i said It is. is The whole thing of Stranger Things is that it is a nostalgia trip, a nostalgia trip that harkens back to a time when so many things were happening all at once. Media was changing, movies were taking different directions, television was even starting to take on more dramatic and more well-grounded storytelling and world-building. I mean, You grew up with films such as He Man and GI Joe, I suppose. You would you definitely
1: the cartoons, yeah,
4: yes. Now, as crude as the animation is, the world building, the world building, and the character development is all the more is all the more engaging.
1: Yeah, that was what I really loved about the cartoons that I grew up with, and that's a good point that you bring up. And it's a it's really a good transition in comparison to stranger things and what the duffer brothers are doing because man the deep dive they do into the mythology building of of this world and of the upside down it is reminiscent of like when we were kids we didn't watch just your simple cartoons with transformers there was some heavy world building going on there and and he-man and gi joe all those cartoons had some world building
4: you don't watch it for you don't really watch it for the animation. You watch it for the world building and That's character right. development.
1: Mm-hmm. And then and we character. grew up we grew up to love 20 plus movie series uh, about Marvel Comics.
4: <laughs> yes. yes. Well, right. what was that? What was that 20 plus movie series again?
1: Well, you know, the the whole Infinity series of, ah, yes. of the Marvel movies,
4: yeah. Yes. That's you. They
1: had to wait for the, us to get older to make those movies, so there would be enough people to appreciate it.
4: Yes, you could tell people like the Rousseau brothers who did, and people who did Avengers, Infinity War, and Endgame grew up with shows such as the, such as the ones we discussed, such as Transformers. When it came to world building and characters,
1: yeah, this is good stuff, Sam. Sam. Promise me, uh, we, we'll talk about Stranger Things again after you watch the rest of the season and then the story ends up the next season. We got to oh, talk some course. more about this. Okay, good, of course. Good talking with you as always, buddy.
4: You too as well. You have a nice one.
1: All right, welcome back. We just uh, we just got off the geek phone geek with phone. Sam. Goodbye, and, Sam. Uh, yeah, Sam. Sam shared all his thoughts on Stranger Things. And now that's what we're here to talk about. Let's talk. Mainly about Stranger Things season four. Obviously, spoilers will abound. So if you haven't watched it, Run. Stop. <laughs> yes, because we're gonna we're gonna get into spoilers. I I don't even know how you could be online right now and I, avoid spoilers for Stranger Things, because they're all over the
2: place. Literally we watched it like I don't know fifteen hours after it was released. And there were spoilers galore online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got
1: spoiled for one thing in particular, but the foreshadowing on it was so strong, anyways. You, mm-hmm. you just knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. But we'll get there. Let's just broadly talk about. Let, let's start off with this question: Was this the best season of Stranger Things so far?
2: Um, I'm going to go no. Really. I want to go no, but it so it has the same issue that Avengers Endgame has for me that it's a culmination of things. Mm -hmm. And like now, the picture is very clear of what's going on in Hawkins and why it's going on in Hawkins versus like season one, two, or three, where you're still kind of in the dark about what exactly is going on. But now it's like, okay, everything's starting to make sense. Now I'm really amped up for season five. But um, I, it's it's so hard. The season that Bob dies, that's probably my favorite season. <laughs> and I still want justice for Bob.
1: Uh, that was a very, very good season. Um, yeah. What do you think, Leah?
3: I disagree. I think this was the best
1: season. Yeah, I am going to agree with Leah. Do you have a do, do you do you have a reason why? Do, would you like to refute anything specific Cody said? I am here to facilitate marital stress. <laughs>
3: I I feel like this is was a setup for something bigger. Yeah. I I feel like it, it's bigger than Vecna. Mm. I I feel like he's just a setup for something much larger. Um, I think it's set up for bigger um, character. I'm trying to think of the right word I'm trying to say here. I don't know. I just think it,
1: there's. I I think, I think what you're trying to say is that there's deeper mythological mythology building here. So before the kids, the characters have been just caught in the wave. Yes. Whereas now we're getting to see why the waves exist. Like there's so much deeper mythology building here, but along with all the other things that make Stranger Things great. Like, I do think this is the best season, and I think that for a lot of real practical reasons. One, I think it's the scariest season. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the stakes seemed higher, which is weird because people are dying in every season. But this one, they're dying in grotesque,
0: mm-hmm. brutal
1: ways that I'm still kind of surprised they show on screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, I, the, from that first kill with, uh, with Chrissy. Chrissy. Oh my goodness! I mean, I literally had a vocal reaction. I was like, "Oh, yeah. oh!" <laughs> yeah. and it was it was so it was scarier. Uh, I just felt like it was just more intense, and yet it doesn't lose the charm of the just the whole vibe of the show, the comedy aspects of of how the kids interact with each other and relate to each other, and then just the camaraderie they still have. Like that yes. cast is even when they've added new parts to it. So Steve's friend uh, at the family video that they added last year, Robin, Robin. Um, I'm terrible with names as anyone. Maya Hawk podcast knows. I know she's yeah. Ethan Hawk and Uma Thurman's daughter. Um, but yeah, even the characters they've added in previous seasons and, uh, you know, Lucas's sister, uh, erica. erica yeah you can't spell, spell america, america without, without erica, erica. <laughs> <laughs> they're so even in that groove now and such a part of the group uh, it's just great murray
2: murray's a hero of mine really <laughs>
3: <laughs> clearly the shirt cody is
2: wearing a murray Bauman's karate club t-shirt <laughs> i am
1: <laughs> as one does <laughs> it's perfect it's absolutely perfect um, but yeah, I think this was the best season just on a, it was more epic while not losing the small charm no. of strangers.
3: Yeah, I agree. So uh,
2: I guess another issue I do have with it is there wasn't enough, I guess, main people dying. For me, because literally, n- <sighs> there really was no loss in this season. That, How dare you, sir? How yeah, dare it you, so, sir? If you ignore what happened this season, boo
1: this man, I know <laughs> go
2: from the end of season three to the end to jump immediately to the very end of the season, you had the same group of people. I mean, yes, there was someone that was added that was a beloved character, but. He was a mist here today, gone tomorrow. <laughs> well, I mean, but we do have um,
1: some real serious situations at the end of the season. Max is in a coma, apparently blind. Is that like a permanent thing? Is she just going to be blind? And she's had all four of her limbs broken. Well, I mean, happens. that's, I mean, that's a terrible yeah. rest of her life looking, you
2: know, looking forward. It's if a, she comes out of her coma, it's an altered rest of her life. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. But we, you know, it's okay. It's okay to disagree. Um, like I still loved this season. Don't get me wrong.
1: Gosh, it was so good. And the scariness of it all. Let's let's talk about. Um, well, let's uh, let, let me go to my my movie notes here before I lose track of what I'm doing here. Uh, favorite scenes let's let's base our next discussion around the what our favorite scenes are, and then we'll that'll what will come out is why we like the season right um, so if we're talking about our favorite scenes, we'll let Leah go first. is there a scene that just jumps out to you from this season that you like the best
3: the most I will have to go with the scene in the graveyard with max when yeah, I mean, I mean, it is just so amazing and profound like I mean I just think that a lot of people connected to that especially like like on a level of like with like depression for an example Mm -hmm. you know when they're trying to deal with um, anxiety levels of depression and trying to get through that you know they play the song running up that hill and you know she's trying to get out of that spell with Vecna and she's she finally does and she's running and she sees her friends and she's trying to get out I just thought that was so powerful.
1: Is Stranger Things... Could this, it's not, but could you make an argument that, uh, this, the upside down is a metaphor for someone going through depression?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. And even in that moment, I think you can see it. And I, and if you go on the internet, you see people writing little stories on how they connected to that. And, um a friend of mine wrote a story about how she lost her brother to suicide Mm. and how she correlated that with her life and how she struggled getting past that. It brought me to tears. And I just, you know, little stories like that I was seeing and it was, it's just really powerful. And I hope that the, the writers of the story get to see that Mm. and how that little scene has really brought people together. It's just really, it's kind of cool. It's cool to see that. Yeah. That was just, it makes me cry every time I see it. And it's just, It just does. I love that scene.
1: Possibly the most iconic scene of the whole season was that scene of her in the graveyard and her escape Mm -hmm. uh, from Vecna the first time Um, or one or (laughs) whatever we want to call the bad guy. Uh, But yeah, and then the Kate Bush song, which is just at hysteria levels now, was number one on iTunes. We were just talking about this before we started recording, but, but that song wasn't like huge by any stretch of the imagination, in the 80s. Not stateside, at least. Yeah, it wasn't like this just unbelievable blockbuster of a song, uh, but it was just perfect. There was just a perfect feel. Man, the Duffer Brothers get something. They, they What makes is... Okay, full stop. Is Stranger Things the best thing on television right now? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not close, right? Stranger Things is the best thing on TV. Cody wants to, <laughs> Cody's always the contrarian. He's thinking really hard. The fact that he had to think no, makes like, me feel like I'm right.
2: Cause here in like a couple months, you're going to say Ted Lasso's the best thing. on. No, know. no. I love, don't get me wrong. I love Ted Lasso. I do.
1: You know that. And it's a wonderfully uh, made show that brings happiness to people. And, and it's so countercultural right now, which is another reason I, I really adore it, but I don't think overall it's just the best show on television. I think stranger things is good because I think the Dover, the Duffer brothers are doing something really masterful. Okay. So they're like, they're giving you a slice of nostalgia with the eighties thing. And while they're doing it, they're parodying parodying, satirizing whatever we want to say 80s entertainment mm-hmm. so like they're doing a very good job of giving us all these like 80s tropes where they're kind of in on the joke you got the kids being chased by something trying to kill them and the, there's all the 80s movie and entertainment tropes but then at the same time they're doing it better than the eight movies in the yes. 80s did they're doing it better and they're giving you like this they're just doing it so well they're making this 80s Like, let's just take the songs separate ways by Journey Mm -hmm. at the point it's in in the the movie. Master of Puppets Mm -hmm. from Uh, Metallica. What they do so well is integrate this music into the characters and then the characters themselves. Okay, so the core group of kids, that Cody's mad that none of them are dead.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Cody. (laughs) Well, (laughs) well, you could have um winona rider kicked the can i yeah, guess That's true uh the the core group of kids
1: you got a uh, dustin mike will and lucas and then they've kind of added max um 11s i'm 11 i'm not including 11 because no. she's special
0: yeah
1: uh, but max and now i would also include steve and nancy and uh robin and then jonathan but Jonathan felt like kind of removed yeah. from this season in, in, in a little way. But those are the core group. Now the characters around them, this is what the Duffer brothers are masters at. They're real. Like we, if you were an eighties kid, you knew an Argyle. Yeah. You knew an Eddie. The thing that the reason Eddie is so such a beloved character is because I knew Eddie. I knew several Eddie's uh-huh. that were this dude. And part of what makes, I think, is people talk about the the scene in the graveyard being the iconic scene. For me, the iconic scene, the part where I literally got up out of my chair and started yelling was when Eddie plays the guitar solo Mm -hmm. on top of his mobile home in the Upside Down. Master of Puppets is playing. So first of all, Doug Metallica, early Mm -hmm. Metallica. And Eddie was the, the kind of guy who was into Metallica. I had friends that were this guy. They they loved early Metallica. They loved that kind of rock. They loved D&D. They were just that dude. And when he got up there, I think one of the most truest character moments of any television character ever was the Duffer brothers understanding that he wasn't going to cut off that guitar solo early Uh -uh. that that dude that guy Eddie plays every last note of that guitar solo with no regard to his own safety because you just gotta Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you just gotta I'm not not going anywhere until I finish this guitar solo man that moment and those characters Argyle if you grew up in the eighties, you knew an Argyle, Mm -hmm. you knew that. like, listen, I'm a pastor now. So I can say all the things about, well, they're not living life in a great manner, especially Argyle. Uh, But man, Argyle doesn't do anything but love people. Right. Yeah. And so I just knew guys like that. And I think that's what the Duffer brothers really, really nail is you have that core group of kids who are the stand in for you. You're in the story as one of these kids but then the surrounding characters are just perfection. Right. These are real guys and people we knew in the '80s, mm-hmm. and it's just perfect. Mm-hmm. And I and and it makes me wonder. You know what I'm really interested in is: can the Duffer Brothers do anything else? Yeah. Or is this a flash? Right. Is this just made for them to do? Was this just their their passion project that they were going to do? Or are they this? Are they really this talented and this aware of? What makes us tick? That they're going to be able to go on and do other things. I'm really curious about that.
3: I agree. I've Um, I've thought the same thing.
1: But um, that all started with, you know, we're going over our favorite scenes, and the the music they pick is just perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, You mentioned Separate Ways by Journey before we started recording, and yeah, even that scene where they're like they're getting ready, Mm -hmm. and that that song with kind of a they've remixed it a little bit, but it was perfect. It was just phenomenal. Cody, do you have a do you have a scene that you, you want to mention? Um, so
2: I will first say that I have a cameo I want to mention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think I know what you're talking. What you're gonna say, and that would be my friend Bob. Bob England <laughs> makes an appearance, and I, yeah, literally, I was the Leonardo DiCaprio
1: meme. Uh, In the chair. My kids didn't know what was going on, but I'm like, oh, oh, oh. (laughs) It's Freddy. It's Freddy. uh, Robert England played Freddy Krueger in the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. It's a perfect cameo. So uh,
2: literally after the first episode's done, I look at Leah and I'm like, this is so much like Nightmare on on Elm Street. And then a couple episodes later, there's Robert England. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Again, the Duffer Brothers-
1: it's 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 awesome that they go and they can they can move from 80s uh genre to genre and kind of parody these things and it's not, i don't know parodying is the right word mm. because it's really more of an homage um i i think homage because they're not making fun of it they're they're it's a loving thing so it's an homage but if like the first season or two is Is much like an homage to like your classic eighties horror, like Friday the Thirteenth, kids running from evil, right? And then um, the season you talk about, where Bob Newby dies and all the demo dogs are there, maybe that's like an Aliens kind of feel. Rest in peace, where there's lots of them, and you know, um, and then you get to this season, which, like you said, real strong Nightmare on Elm Street vibes. Oh yeah, because one or Vecna or whatever we're calling him. He kind of enters in through these kids. It's kind of like their dreams because they go catatonic. They do. and he. But he's forcing it.
2: Yeah. Um, so I wanted to give that shout out. But then I think I'm going to go with uh, Eleven standing up to Papa as Papa's biting the dust at yeah. the current moment. So um, – There was a lot of built-up emotions and uh, built-up drama between her and Papa. And like all the flashbacks, you get to see why she's the way she is, what really is motivating Papa in doing what he's doing. And then he has this moment of, hey, kind of forgive me. No, I'm not <laughs> doing it. I'm walking on. That's a real human thing though, isn't it? Oh
1: yeah. Where, oh, yeah. where oftentimes we let people off the hook when they're dying. Um, and and there's a discussion to be had, whether that's fair to you,
2: whether or whether it's the right thing to do. Like, is it okay? like pastoral Cody says, well, you should be nice. Yeah. You want to forgive.
1: As yeah. pastors, we're like, yeah, for forgiving. But on the other hand, Papa's being selfish in that moment. He's totally being selfish. He shouldn't be asking, uh, you know, well, I mean, he should be apologizing.
2: Oh, yeah. Not asking for forgiveness. He skips right over that step. Yes. He does. Um, So that one would be up there. And then maybe when half the gang actually meets Susie. Who they thought was made up for <laughs> most of the previous season. So, Well, okay, let's backtrack
1: because we kind of hit on this, but let's talk about Eddie's moment, mm-hmm. the Master of Puppets moment. Uh, for me, that scene is the scene I will remember f- for all the time. Now, the foreshadowing was so heavy. So heavy. Oh, yeah. Uh, from the first first couple times you see him in Volume 2, that like that first hour-and-a-half episode or whatever, there's so many moments when he's saying like when he talks about running away and you're just like, oh no and oh, I'm not a
3: hero and-
1: they're totally gonna kill Eddie and yeah. I'm not here for
2: it although at the very end of part one they hit you over the head with it of well it was the girls that jumped in if they hadn't jumped in I wouldn't have gone down after you mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and so they they were telling you there that Eddie's going to get his moment of redemption. Yeah, they were foreshadowing the hero turn pretty
1: well. And as we know, the hero, uh, based on uh, our biblical themes, we're not two yet. Yeah. But when you're the hero, you lay down your life for your friends. You do. you do. And boy, is it a hard one to take. We're, I mean, we're right there with Dustin, living through that moment. And, and it is perfection, too, when, when Eddie, the things Eddie says, well, I, di- I didn't run away this time.
3: Well, and I think a lot with Eddie, like if you really, like the things that he says before, because he has that flashback where he's talking to him and he says, you know, I, I ran and I just left her there.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: It, and because he, the town hates him. He's an outcast. They don't yeah. like him. And um, I think a lot of it is also he needed that redemption for himself to be able to, to, be able to live with, not really obviously not live with himself, but to be able to, to know that he didn't run, that he stayed and he did the right thing for once. He did not run and he, yeah. he, 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 didn't run. He stayed.
1: One and, of the, another one of the great things that Duffer brothers do is, um, they don't fill in all the gaps for you. Like, uh, if, if we go back to Papa, they never really explain how he's still alive.
0: Yeah, yeah. All the time. Yeah.
1: That's just, I like that they don't have to fill in all the gaps for you. They expect you to, like, hey, you discuss. It's not important to the story, clearly. Um, but I appreciated they did that with Papa, that they didn't have some whole episode backstory on how he survived. Because we didn't need that, and nobody would have wanted that. Uh, but some TV shows do that. Lots of TV shows do that. Because mm-hmm. they're trying to fill space, not tell a story. Um, but what I, that's what I appreciate about the Duffer Brothers is, in, in regards to Eddie... You fill in the gaps yourself from things, little sides and little things he's saying that he really liked Chrissy.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. It was more than just a she's cute. He really liked her from the discussion that they have the talk at the picnic table out in the woods, which is a really great scene. Mm -hmm. And like, was that episode one or two? One? Because she dies at the end of episode one. Yeah. 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 that scene where they talk and then the little things he says in this moment, the master of puppets moment where he's, this is for Chrissy Mm -hmm. and and he, you can tell that he really, really liked her. And I just think this is one of the great things the Duffer brothers do is that, um, they let you fill in the, the blanks yourself. Yeah. And so when Eddie gets that moment, all of this is built into that moment, this wonderful character development, uh, that is not hit you over the head character development, uh, plays into this moment where he comes back one of the last things he says and this killed me when you get you get a callback to his first when you first meet him this is my year this is my year and and you're just broken I was yes. just
0: broken
2: at that point like darn you Duffer Brothers there was ugly crying in our house but was-
3: <laughs> I'm looking at him and I'm like how are you not crying he's like I'm good
1: you cold
2: hearted snake I'm Cody <laughs> I'm
3: like get out of the living room you can't <laughs> sing.
1: Don't look at me! Don't look at me!
3: (laughs) I was snotting myself. Kylo came to comfort me. Why He just looked at me. (laughs)
2: Kylo's the dog, by the way. Um, But there were scenes that I thought were more heart-wrenching, and there were scenes that made me furious in this uh, season, and deservingly so. Let's talk about... uh,
1: Let's go on to another scene. Why don't you... Because I think... You may, so I think we've talked about that scene sufficiently. Let's go on to maybe a scene like, how about that scene where Max gives herself up to Vecna and Lucas is the one there? How about that guy's acting? Caleb McLaughlin, Nana's his mm-hmm. name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whew, that whole scene was intense.
3: I, I wept during that scene as well.
1: She did. I did not,
2: but I was close. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Cody. <laughs> Cody's just not that kind of guy.
2: No, um, but... During that scene, I'm like, A, he's very like empathetic with her. And he has been throughout the whole season. He's been trying to get Max to realize she is loved and cared for, at least by him. Whether it's true by anyone else doesn't matter. He wants her to know that he is invested in her. Not just because he wants to date her or has dated her in the past. It's because he genuinely cares. And so you have this culmination. And right before she gets possessed or goes into the state, um, like they're writing letters to each other. And it's all sentimental and cute. And it's like, do you want to go to the movies on Friday? And (laughs) she draws a picture. And it's like, oh, this is sweet. Possession and then in comes the guy I hate the most in the whole series. Forget Vecna. It is (laughs) this basketball basketball captain, (laughs) senior basketball player who I refuse to acknowledge his name, but he does a really good job of being a heel.
3: We don't speak names in our home, (laughs)
2: Uh, but he, uh, yeah, he comes in and he's like, I'm going to. Beat you up if you don't wake her up. I'm going to shoot you. And then we have oh. Lucas getting the snot beat album for the first half of that. He, uh, that guy is deliciously over the top. Yes. Deliciously in, over the top. In and, wrestling terms, he is a heel and he's a great heel. Um,
1: let's, I'm going to find who this guy is because he deserves to be mentioned because he's amazing uh, in this season.
2: So, his character reminded me of, if you've seen the movie The Mist, a Stephen King book, um, it reminded me of the very over-the-top Christian lady in the grocery store.
0: Yeah.
2: That you're like, oh, if every Christian's like this, this is bad.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I am not finding him. Google, why is he not on the cast list? I'm going to have to look at IMDb. I wanted to look at IMDb. Um let's let's keep talking about him for a second though because he plays an important part of the 80s kind of feel here. So let's talk about the satanic panic. Do do you guys want to talk about that? Um, <laughs> talk about it.
2: Yeah. Slash he also looks like uh the dude from Karate Kid. The uh, Johnny Oh John, uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um William Zabka
3: sometimes, but I think that's kind of what I said. I think that's what they were going for though. That, that kind of feel
1: he is a Mason. Die is the actor's name. Mason die born in Oklahoma, Oklahoma guy. Uh, Yeah. So he was amazing in it, but yeah, let's talk about, let's talk about the satanic panic because this is a real man. This was, and they play on this in the show, but this was a real thing. Um, and this is a, we can talk about our own here because Mason plays Jason. This is largely Christian. Oh yeah. Backed here. So in the eighties, what happens is, is there's, there's a, some teenager commits suicide. Mm. Now the correlation here is this teenager, um, first of all was probably suffering from depression and, 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 you know, whatever else goes into that. It's such a complex thing to talk about the, the idea of suicide. Uh, there's just always so much more, but as one does when you're hurting, when you lose someone, you look for culprits, and uh, this this young person's parents latched on to Dungeons and Dragons, D and D. This is actually expounded on by Eddie, who's reading it from like a Time magazine article, yeah, in or, the News or Newsweek or something. Yeah. yeah, in the in the actual show, he's reading this story. This was a real event, and this uh, this I think the mom. Uh, really latches on to this cause of like proving that Dungeons and Dragons was this evil cult building uh, thing that caused her her child her son to do this, and it results in something called the Satanic Panic. Now, this is played on throughout the course of the season of Stranger Things, like the whole this Mason Die's character of Jason kind of leads the charge of like this overreaction. He's a zealot. But it works. Zealotry, right? We'll get back to this in biblical themes. But they go over the top because it's, and it's forgivable. You understand it's over the top because they're living through something really extreme. Mm -hmm. Um, So you get it. Now the people in the 80s, um, only the parent of the kid had the excuse of living through something very extreme. Everyone else who latches onto this and causes... And, and lives and you know, causes this satanic panic. But this was a real thing that happened because I know when I was a kid, even as a non church going kid, you heard all the stories. Mm-hmm. All the satanic cults were out there and they were going to get you. Mm-hmm. Um, not only that, but there's a reference made to at the very end of the last episode of this season, as Hawkins being the doorway, the gateway to hell. Mm-hmm. This was also a big '80s thing. There's actually a town outside of Lawrence, Kansas, where I grew up. Stole? Stole. Yeah, you shouldn't have mentioned it. <laughs> that poor, <laughs> that poor town is almost abandoned because kids would come there and, oh, like, yeah.
2: you know, well, hang out yeah, with their graveyard. No, that was still like ongoing discussions yeah. while we were in high school.
3: I did a paper on it in college. Yeah.
1: But, th- but that was a real thing. Yeah. We, there were, that was what everyone said was that this town was the gate, was a gateway to hell.
2: Was one of the seven.
1: Yeah. Which is a funny number. I was like, why would it be seven? That's,
2: Should be six. That's a biblical number. <laughs> like, that's the number
1: of completion. You know, it's God's number. Yeah. Um, but this was a real thing. And I remember hearing about this a lot. And it was just something people were afraid of in the 80s, randomly.
2: Yeah. And. But we're uh, not like, really anymore. That's not really a thing. Mom. Mob mentality definitely plays a factor, and I mean, you see it within other movements within the 80s. And I, if you look at Eddie's character, like he's hitting like all the this kid is evil incarnate with his listening to Iron Maiden and Dio and Metallica. And then playing D&D, having long hair, and using pot. Oh, my goodness. This kid. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is every Christian mom's worst nightmare. Well, they do a great job of kind of putting this
1: into the series. The character of Eddie is clearly devised and invented to play off this. This particular satanic panic the thing that happened the thing that was going on in the 80s and um it was just it was just great this is man it's just wonderful television again i can't stop saying it uh so many good scenes going on here um max and lucas if we go back to them for a second they get like the meat of this season One of the great scenes I thought that not a lot of people will talk about but I thought was wonderful was the juxtaposition of uh, Lucas's game winning shot and his sister Erica winning the Dungeons and Dragons game.
0: Yeah, Uh I thought
1: that was beautifully devised, that whole scene, how they were incorporating scenes from both and going back and forth as she's winning the Dungeons and Dragons game against the Vecna in the game and he's hitting the last second shot. And uh, that, that whole part was very fascinating to me because I think if you were like, if you were the Dungeons and Dragons geek in 80s high school, it was not cool to be a geek back no. then. And so the moment where Lucas hits the game winning shot coming off the bench and the elation of that where he's like in this whole new crowd. Oh, man, that was highly identifiable.
2: Um, I was so upset with the rest of his group. For not being there <laughs> yeah. during that, yeah, they were very. But, but they haven't. The Duffer Brothers
1: haven't shied away from showing Mike and uh, some of the group's like selfishness in that way. Oh yeah,
2: yeah. And I, you see Mike's selfishness um, in season two, especially like when Max first joins the group and they're going trick or treating. He's upset. Max is a part of it, and it's like. How dare you guys ruin this fun outing? It's supposed to be a guy's thing. And yeah, you know, get rid of Mike.
1: Well, no, no. So Mike goes through, Mike is such an afterthought in this season, but even he gets this wonderful little character arc that's kind of in the background until, until the very end when Will is the, the impetus for him to like realize, Hey, this is your place in our group. You're the leader, which means you got to turn away from being about
2: yourself, which he kind of is because he's immature and young. Um, like Early on in this season, I thought he was super selfish. Oh, yeah, he was. Anytime he's talking about Eleven, it's all about, well, sh- your superpowers, and you'll get them back. And uh, you know I, I love your superpowers. And it's all about her being something important but- and not about her as a person.
1: You are young enough, Cody, to to live in the movement that came after what we lived at the tail end of, which was that boys didn't recognize weakness still. Mm -hmm. Like you're young enough to get a little bit of this like idea where men don't have to have a stiff upper lip, you know, Mm. rub some dirt on it. You know, when you get hurt, I don't
2: have to go all John Rambo, 24 seven.
1: Mike is a perfect representation of a boy growing up in the eighties because what he's doing is he's running away from conflict. He doesn't want to show vulnerability. And so he's being all about himself. Well, everything will be fine. She'll get her powers back. Uh, she'll come back to me. You know, is he basically says that in the uh-huh. end, he's just so afraid of losing 11 of her finding out that she's weak and not needing him. That's his big fear.
2: He's afraid to be vulnerable. He's an L7 weenie. Cody's <laughs> harsh. Dad.
3: He is very harsh. I think he, <laughs> his character growth. Through the whole yeah. series, our season was very, very good. I, I thought he did, well, I thought he had a lot of growth and I thought it was really
1: interesting I to watch. I, I think because it was in the background too, it was perfect because now I think the next season you're mm-hmm. going to see like him come back to the forefront and be a real leader. Yes. A more mature, uh, I uh understands what's important is not running away from making himself vulnerable Mike. Um, so I I, I dug um, the Lucas uh, and Erica scene. I dug the Max scene. There's just so many good character moments in the middle of what was like probably the most intense season from
2: start to finish of Stranger Things. Although totally. I think I might have enjoyed the the older group more than the young original group. They get a lot to do. They do. In this one. And frankly
1: if there's not a spinoff of Steve and Robin in various odd jobs moving forward, what are we even doing here? I need like <laughs> yeah. almost a sitcom like show of Steve and Robin in lower stakes uh-huh. where it's not life or death, where they're just working, you know, at the blockbuster. Yeah. <laughs> um, I need they're that funny show. together. Oh,
2: they're amazing. I'm good with Justin Argyle show. Would someone give Joe Curie a, a, a show? Please. I
3: know he's hysterical.
1: He's he's amazing as Steve Harrington, and I'm just going to champion Joe.
3: And I'm really glad they didn't kill him off like they planned on.
1: This is high praise from an 80s kid.
3: Uh-huh. Uh,
1: but I've said before, I'm not really a purist. Uh, I wish they would have. There was a lot of rumors that they were going to make a Ferris Bueller remake with mm-hmm. Joe Keery as Ferris. Oh. Uh, but they they ended up just doing a commercial for the Super Bowl. Do you remember that? Yeah. And I'm still I'm still here for it, even though he's probably too old now. Uh, I'm still like, I thought that would have been amazing. I think Joe Keery should be a star. I just dig him. Make
2: it happen.
1: Yeah. Um. Any other scenes that I missed that we missed here? I'm trying to think. Um, Were there any scenes that could have been better that didn't, that didn't quite land with you?
3: I actually did like the scene where she takes that chip out of um one's neck and like, we don't really know. I mean, obviously we know at that point that he is something more mm-hmm. and then he goes out in the hallway and he starts like killing everybody. I actually did like that scene.
1: Now, when did you have it figured out that he was the big bad?
3: I didn't know he was the big bad. I just knew he was something more
1: by then. Cause it, it, for me, it was probably the second episode he appears in. And I don't mm-hmm. know whether that's probably around four or five episodes, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. Uh, of this season but i was like oh yeah this guy <laughs> there's something more to him and and before that last episode of the first volume where you find out all everything about him i was like yeah this guy is bad news
3: i just didn't like the creeper vibe he was giving off because like he kept like mm-hmm. being like I, I always thought you would be beside me i'm like what are you implying she's just a baby I do not like I, that. Yeah.
1: I do love it when uh, these filmmakers and showmakers uh, build scenes. They show you scenes where when you go back and see it. So like when, when Nancy is seeing his memories mm-hmm. and sees the young boy walking into the house with his family when he's just the boy, you notice how downtrodden he is. And like- You've seen all those scenes. We watched right. all those scenes, and I love how it's you're so when the the couple walks in and they're beaming, mm-hmm. you're just naturally drawn to them. yeah, but when when they replay it later through Nancy's point of view and you're looking at the kid, you're like, oh, how did I miss that? right? Clearly this kid should have been we should have noticed this. Yeah, I love it when when showmakers and filmmakers do that uh, because it's just it's just really brilliant, in my opinion, filmmaking. Um, There wasn't many scenes that didn't land for me. I, I could have done with less Murray and Yuri, if I'm being honest.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, that,
2: that got a little old for me. In part two. I'm yeah. Like, w- Especially okay. in that two-hour one. Yeah. We have beat this horse to death a few times.
1: Yeah. And I love
2: Murray. Yuri. Yeah,
1: I could do without you seeing like, much more Yuri.
2: <laughs> Yuri, at first, because he would do like these awful jokes, I'm like, you're amazing. <laughs> 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 but then they overdid it. Um, the only
1: thing, the, the, my favorite scene with Yuri was the the actual convincing that the other Russian guard does with him in that last episode to get him to get up and uh, fix the, the helicopter where he, uh, he, he you, you find out about Yuri that he led some battalion in some war. Was actually mm-hmm. a war hero, yes. Um, who's buried himself in booze and probably whatever else. But that scene that was like, okay, yeah, yeah. that was really. And that whoever that actor is, um, that pulled that scene off,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, he played he was in Game of Thrones too, as uh, um, Haken or whatever his name was, Tom Waloshchicha, Loshchicha. I don't know. He played exactly Dimitri. Exactly how you say it. He was wonderful in that scene with Yuri. I mean, that guy just has like a a great vibe, anyways. He mm-hmm. just he could play those characters that you they're like smoldering just behind the eyes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he has that 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 effect. And uh that was great. So that scene with Yuri,
2: great. I love that. Most of the other stuff with Yuri, uh, didn't need it. Um Okay, so I'm going to be cold again.
3: Oh, big surprise. Let's hear it.
2: Um, For a scene that didn't land. All right. I really didn't care that Eleven and Max had in the hospital. Like, that scene was useless to me. Like, okay, why are we doing this? Like, You mean in the conclusion, basically? uh Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm like, okay, why are we going black- around them when there's nothing happening with them and she literally could have done something a minute earlier and Max would not have been dead like there's so many things here They they
1: may have been guilty of emotional pandering in that moment. I can I can go down that road with you. Yeah. Are
2: you talking
3: about when she hel- when she holds Max's hand? Are you talking about that?
1: Sure, why not?
3: Because <laughs> she's trying to reach Max. They're implying that she can't reach her. I don't know. Like, that's what they're implying. She's they're that She can't find
1: her. I'm also going to agree with you.
3: That's what they're implying. <laughs> that they, she can't find still, her.
2: It was a waste. And I waste think time and space. they're going to
3: address that in season five. I think that's going to be a part of it, that she is going to try to find Max. And I think Max will develop powers.
2: Hmm. Well, okay, right. I'm not. The, so the, we probably have a theories of where this is going
1: section. There, there was a moment there in this season where I thought we were going the Nightmare on Street Three Dream Warrior route. Where basically there's a there's there's a movie in the Nightmare on Elm Street series where the kids being chased by Freddy figure out that because it's happening in their dream state that they themselves can do amazing and incredible things. And they start fighting back with like superhero like type powers. Yes. Totally corny and very 80s. But it was one of my favorites yeah. of, of the series. Uh-huh. And I thought that's where they were going. So, yeah, let's. Let's come back to that in a future pod after the next season, because I could totally see them figuring out, Hey, this is happening in a dream state Mm -hmm. in the upside down, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Maybe we have latent abilities that can, can be accessed there. I dig that. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. Let's move on. Biblical themes. (sighs) I mean, where do you even start? First of all, 11 called L which is yes. literally a Hebrew word for God. It is. I know it's short for 11. I know that's not where they're going with it, but she's like the sacrificial hero of the story.
2: Time Overall, and time again. Um,
1: the upside down itself is a literal and figurative reference to many things. Literally uh, a Christian or Jew would tell you that there is a, a seen world and an unseen world. And mm-hmm. in that unseen world, rest some pretty scary monsters Yep, that are working against your good. So there's that. In the figurative sense, the upside down represents that everything you think you know is flipped. Right. In that sense, we're living in, you know, the kingdom of God flips everything you think, you know, so maybe we're already living in the upside down. Yeah. I mean, you could go all day with the upside down. I think the, the idea of a mirror
2: world, where everything is flipped, just that there's a lot of biblical feeling there. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I'm not going to rule out that they might be very cognizant of knowing that L is a term for God. Mm. And that, because literally, everyone around L keeps saying, Oh, she's going to save the day. She's going to do this. She is amazing. Mm -hmm. Papa knows she can take down one, but she just needs more time. And it's like, okay, well, like she does things that are pretty cool, but literally she's had I don't know how many seasons to destroy this already.
1: Well, and and I'm very curious about whether they're going to expand on where exactly does Elle send one? Because when we get the flashback of him getting there for the first time and he explains how he just explored, that place does not look like the Upside Down as we know it. In fact, it's implied that maybe he kind of makes it that. Um, and it's got a very, like, wherever he's sent, he's kind of, it's a, it's a very Fallen Angel vibe. Mm-hmm. And then he turns this place into hell, mm-hmm. literally. Yeah. So... There's some themes there that that I don't know. Maybe they won't go there. Maybe that is in their head. It'd be interesting to know if the Duffers were raised in Christian Catholic church or something, Catholic school. Yeah, um, um, because often kids that that grow up in Catholic school, even if they grow up to be non-believers, but they're creatives, they often will tell stories like with that kind of vibe.
2: I think a guy like Kevin Smith who made um, the movie Dogma, the guy that made Midnight Mass.
1: Yeah. Like, the, even though they're not active believers, they like telling stories with that sort of mythos.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, and they do tell Elle that if it, they do what they do to her, if she survives it, she'll come back stronger and more powerful. And yeah. You, yeah. her name meaning what it means. She
2: conquered if, the grave. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, and in a very uh, just overall sense, the whole theme of, let's take Eddie's death. The laying down of one's life for one's Mm -hmm. friends, man. Any of that group are willing to do that. And you see that in Max and Eddie. And you see that in Bob Newby in the season before, or two seasons before, however long ago that was. This group
2: of friends is ready to lay down their lives forever. I mean, Dustin was ready to do that for Eddie, but he got there too late. Yeah, Um, Lucas was ready to do it for Max Mm -hmm. and nearly did. Mike's getting there. (laughs) <laughs> Mike's a work in progress he is. Evidently so. he's, a, he's our stand in
1: We're all a work in progress Yes Um. Any other biblical themes That I'm Obvious ones that I'm not mentioning
2: I mean Like anything with The Group of basketball players Yeah the zealotry You you mentioned zealots Zealots um, Over legalistic mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and very pharisaical that in regards that this is the way it's going to be and you fall in line with this and you have to follow these orders and rules whether we follow them or not uh, because like they paint themselves to be great outstanding young people and they look down on Eddie because of his illegal activity mm-hmm. before the D&D satanic craze happens but yet, after the game, where are they? They're having a keg party, and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're not not—they're not living life great. No. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's a
1: great picture of what zealotry does, what it leads to. Because we can look at the basketball kids and the people of the town of Hawkins and say, hey, these aren't bad people. They're mm-hmm. living through something extreme. But that's the problem with zealotry, right? Is all it takes is one little nudge. And all of a sudden you're living the Salem witch trials. All it takes is Mm -hmm. you don't understand how close you are to completely going off the edge when you're living in this manner, when you're being a zealot, when you're being over legalistic, you don't understand how close you are, especially if you have some modicum of control in your society. That's when it starts getting really scary. It's the reason we have separation of church and state because we, Mm -hmm. the founding fathers understood this because they'd lived through and their ancestors had lived through, you know, probably 500 years of the church being pretty corrupt
2: in the middle ages, you know? And I mean, even the church of England having its issues Mm -hmm. and that's part of the reason why settlers left there. But Neither here nor there. Uh, Back to this show, I mean, when you have someone that is a zealot and they are in a position of high standing, which at this time captain of the basketball team in Indiana in the 80s is a big deal. You just got done with Larry Legend uh, running amok through the high schools and college ranks. And it's now a Boston Celtic. I mean, literally, this guy would be your go-to for anything Mm -hmm. of power. And like, if you were a car salesman and you could get him to be on a billboard, you're selling cars. But in this case, his girlfriend gets killed in a very mysterious way and... There's a group of people talking about it might be associated with D&D and he latches on to it. It's all downhill. It's not a thankful posi- position for him to be in as the actor because
1: he's in kind of a thankless position. Because clearly to do what you want to do with the story, to, un- to show people, because I think what the Duffer brothers are trying to show us in, this, in that storyline is something good to show us. Like, here's what the effects of over-legalistic thinking will do. Here, Here's the possible pitfalls of it. But in order to do that, you have to ha- have this poor guy be like a mustache-twiddling bad guy, mm-hmm. which it's it's fine. It, it, he gets to be in one of the biggest shows going, which Although, is great for him. But at the same time, it's a little over the top in just how kind of evil he is there especially there at the end where for no reason he's going to shoot someone who's
2: catatonic why yeah. why is it important to wake her up that that makes no sense because it's cult activity and she could be summoning demons dave yeah. that's what's happening i just don't think in order to to show us that story he has to make some illogical decisions uh, so i have i guess some issue with just the fact that he overshadows Vecna Mm. or one or Henry, whatever we're calling him at this moment. Cause literally I think back and I'm like, I can kind of understand Henry's demeanor and mindset. And then like, I'm not that very anti Vecna. I mean, I know he's bad, but (laughs) like, you have Jason, and I'm like, how not dare anti-Vecna? you? How are you not? How are you not anti Vecna? I mean, literally, Cody's gonna but, have to go
3: around and break some wrists now. I thought you were a
2: pastor, man. But, I mean, think about Our minds initially go to Jason, but Vecna was killing bunnies and cats and all that before he harmed his parents and yeah. sister and. I mean, there were warning signs, and literally all the groups should be hating on Vecna, and yet he's not getting the most hate. It's Jason. All right. Let's move on.
1: Who wins this season? Who, who's the winner of this season? Like
2: I, Eddie. Ah, man, it's hard not to say Eddie. It is hard not to say Eddie. Um, he's just wonderful.
1: Um, his name being Joseph Quinn. Is the actor, and he uh, is just amazing. We've talked about Eddie so much already, but man, yeah, what he he him dying at the end just really crushes it. Though I don't know if I can say he's the winner of the season because he just gets this season
2: he, literally. I
3: mean, look at the dimples.
2: Um, I, to be honest, probably Lucas. Lucas and Max both. Because Lucas makes a, a huge gain out of nowhere of screen time, story development, and sentimental attachment. Mm. And he goes through something. Like, he does. Sadie Sink, who plays Max,
1: is wonderful and is the, maybe one of the obvious choices to say, man, the season really belongs to her. Mm-hmm. But let's not forget Lucas, who goes through just this wide range of an arc.
0: Mm-hmm. where he's
1: kind of lost at the beginning and he's looking to get with these in crowd and Caleb McLaughlin plays, even with his facial expressions uh, plays this so well of his trepidation of where he's at wanting to still be with his friends, but really trying to do something for their, like it's clear his motives aren't just about him. He says mm-hmm. that to him. He's like, look, we wanted to be come to high school and not have the same old thing happen to us. Yeah. And he's trying to make that happen. Through, you know, immature means. Single-handedly can, trying to do this. <laughs> which we can look at now by trying to be someone he's not.
2: Although he might be really good at basketball.
1: He might be. But being that guy is not him. Yeah. And he figures that out the course of the season. Um, I think also Vecna or one himself deserves mentioning Jamie Campbell Bauer. <laughs> well, is just great. He's just great, and if uh, have you read anything about him, about this performance, and how he was? So like the voice of Vecna is really him. That's really? his voice, which is if you if you put this side by side with him as the quote unquote fake orderly in in the flashback scenes with Eleven, uh, that voice, his real voice, compared to that deep voice, the the Duffer Brothers said they don't even like they didn't understand where he was summoning it
2: from. Um, <laughs> so. I had a friend that literally thought that they had uh, like mixed his voice with Robert England's voice to get that. Yeah. Nope. It's all him. It's his voice.
1: It's a And when I read that, I was like, wow. Okay. That's impressive. This guy's uh, this guy's talented. He's wonderful. And even when he's in the suit, even with his eyes covered up by those contacts that make it look like he doesn't have pupils, He's still communicating with his eyes when he's yeah. talking as Vecna. I, I don't. I don't know if people can appreciate how hard it is to actually convey emotion through the getup he's got on as Vecna, and the, especially in that last episode when he's interacting with Eleven and Max. Mm-hmm. And oh man, that was amazing. And then you get the flashback scenes where he's telling the story of him going to the Upside Down initially, and he's just. That guy, we're going to talk about that guy after he wins an Oscar someday. Oscar. Yeah, I think he's that good. I think he's, uh, has to be up there for winning the season too. Um, yeah. As I said, a lot of your core guys, they don't get a lot to do. They're kind of in the background, Steve, even though he's in it a lot, uh, and has a great arc. Um, he's not at the forefront. Robin gets more to do
0: mm-hmm. in this
2: season. Uh, but Mike's in the background. Dustin's kind of in the background. Nancy starts off slow, but then picks up some steam towards the end. will, I thought will gets a lot to do without saying much with I thought I thought
1: that was a very um I, I know we're pastors and there's gonna you know, maybe there's some Christians who wouldn't want to talk about this, but clearly will is is gay,
0: yeah,
1: right is it, yeah. You know, yeah they're they're heavily implying that. And he's not there, – there wasn't – I was really afraid there was going to be some ridiculous over-the-top coming-out scene, but they handled this great. They there, really not, did. And it's more realistic this way that he's really struggling internally mm-hmm. with how am I going to reconcile my life, my friendships, my family with the things I'm feeling. And that turmoil plays out in, in a mostly wordless for him interaction with Jonathan – when they're in the fast food, the pizza joint in the, in the last couple episodes, Mm -hmm. which I thought was just very well done. It's very beautiful.
3: Well, Jonathan knows, and he knows who he has, his brother has feelings for. Cause you pointed at me in the scene in the, when they're in the van and he's telling uh, Mike what to say or something to L. And Cody said, that's how he feels for Mike. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. And yeah. um, Jonathan's watching him in the review mirror at that point. And so Jonathan knows how he feels and who he feels that towards. yeah, And so then they, they end up at the restaurant. So he knows exactly what's going on yeah. and he tells him, I love you regardless.
1: And, and regardless of what you think of those feelings, what your opinion is on all that, I think we can all identify and look at that and like, Hey, yeah, we felt like that for people. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a highly, these highly identifiable moments for us with will, even if it's, it's something, even if you think it's unidentifiable for you, the feeling itself is identifiable that he has a tremendous love for someone and feels like he can't tell anyone.
3: And that's that's a very real thing to have that person not love you back.
1: Yeah. That way. Yeah. And you're coming to grips with that. Mm -hmm. I I just thought all that was beautiful. And Noah Schnapp, uh, there were a lot of articles out there that said that were, people were mad that he doesn't get more, but I thought he did abundant work with, I, I thought it was very subtle, but it was just really, really good. I, I think, think he's, he's
3: great going to
2: get a huge role in this last season. I agree
3: a hundred percent.
2: Yeah. We'll get back to that here yeah. in a minute. Um, okay.
1: Any, anyone I missed for wins the season. Is there anyone who unfortunately loses the season? I can go first. Cause I have one right off the top of my head. I have one right off the top of my head too. I'm going to go with uh Wynonna Ryder. I'll too well, I was going to go I'll with me too. <laughs> this whole show. Joyce is the antithesis to what females get to do in these kind of stories usually. And then this season it's reversed. She's just there to be the damsel in distress. She gets really no active part in the rescuing of Hopper. Mm-hmm. She's just kind of there to, to <gasps> you know, like which is your your kind of tropish way to put a woman in this kind of story. The only misstep I really feel. With, with her character, and
2: I felt bad for Winona Ryder in this season. Um, like maybe I'll throw in um Nancy's parents,
1: <laughs> although the dad is great. I love that. Oh
2: man, the dad is amazing <laughs> now, and deserves his, recognition. His, now, the one
3: liners are great. Oh. Now and that, he's so
2: terrible. Yeah. What a terrible dad. <laughs> now that the mom doesn't have Max's brother to lust after, she's, I, I, she's yeah, kind of wasteful for yeah. me. Yeah, she's
1: definitely was, this season, they're both throw, you're right, they're both throwaway characters. Uh, but in the little he got, boy, does Mike's dad really tell you a lot. He tells you he's an awful dad, for of <laughs> <Yeah>. all. <laughs> And, and secondly, um, it was highly entertaining and hilarious how ridiculously uncaring he is.
3: I like when he sounds like maybe you should arrest him and get so mad at the dad. <laughs> I loved that part. I was laughing.
1: Uh, Leah, was there anyone that you thought is kind of on the outs this season? They didn't, get, they didn't get their due. No? Beyond what we've mentioned? Yeah. Okay. Let's wrap this up with this question. What do we think's coming in season five? A lot of rumors out there that said there was going to be a time jump there. Yeah. And it was going to be in the nineties, which I was for, I was excited by that prospect, but then the way the show ends, oh, I yes. don't know how that's possible. We're just going to have an open doorway to the upside down for a few years until we can time jump into the nineties. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that rumor is going to be, end up being true. I hope not. Um, I kind of do because I just want to see what the Duffer brothers do with a 90s sensibility.
2: But like, like,
1: like I just said, I don't think it makes sense now with the story.
2: Because then the whole world has to be at peril and yeah. it has had to gone outside of Hawkins in that time period. It just doesn't make sense for these huge canyons to yeah. be open right now. In a
1: very real sense, they've got the drastic Park problem. They do. About to happen. Now, now it becomes not ignorable to the outside world. This whole time you've been in this little island of Hawkins, Indiana, sleepy town that no one knows about, uh, that where all these weird things are going down and it could escape uh, everyone else's attention with a good amount of government lying
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and the people of the town joining in on the lie un- unwittingly believing that it was a earthquake, you know, that killed a bunch of people or whatever. Um, but now, yeah, now you got the, the season ends with helicopters, military copters, smoke billowing out red smoke. Yeah. yeah. No, even in the eighties, this was going to get noticed.
2: Oh yeah. Um So, and by this time, do we have, I think we do have CNN, it's happening, like so that mm-hmm. that baby that fell down the well that I blame all of <laughs> oh, our issues on with media these days because of it. Um, oh yeah, this would blow up. Yeah, so you have to resolve it immediately. I think will will be possessed or will be used against the group. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'll I'll, t- I'll say this. Will or Mike, one of those two is not making it out of this show alive. I, th- I think Mike has to sacrifice himself if he's the quote unquote heart
3: I, th- I I agree he has to go in order for l to reach her potential
1: it does do we keep playing along with the L as Jesus kind of figure? does she disappear at the end of this show Yes but but it's but it's none it's unclear. It's her ascension moment. She disappears in a bright flash of light and it's unclear where, what has happened.
2: Yeah, I could see them having a final showdown and she wipes out Vecna and you don't know where she's at because yeah. she's in like a parallel dimension or something. I think Lucas is fine. Max, boy, you, we leave her on shaky ground. I think Max will become a seer of the future. <laughs>
1: because oh she's blind yes that's how it
2: works in every
1: other tv show and movie cody thinks max is going to develop superpowers S-
3: somebody has to she l can't do it by herself
1: and- D- dustin definitely survives yes i don't see them killing off Dustin. no i i thought for sure steve was a goner this season I did too. So I'm not so sure that, because there's a lot of foreshadowing. There was a lot of foreshadowing with Steve this season, kind mm-hmm. of in the vein of Eddie, where like he's directionless. They make a point of telling you he's directionless. He's self-aware that he's directionless. He do, He wants the important cause, right? He doesn't want to be the babysitter. He wants to be the hero. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even though he's telling Eddie, don't be the hero. Yeah. Um, but secretly he wants to be. And I think, yeah, yeah. That's some, in some fashion, Steve will end up, being a guy who buys it in the final season. Nancy will live. Thank goodness. Hop- Hopper and Joyce live happily ever after, in my opinion. I think they're they fine. Uh, but how does this – because now everything's in place. There's no mystery, right? It's just this is the setting up for the final showdown.
2: Should be, unless like Leah hinted at, if I was understanding her correctly, that there's something – behind Vecna that's even stronger.
3: There is. We know this. Do we? Yeah. You think so? Yeah. What's your reason? Because they said that already. Well, Dustin implied his theory.
2: What was his theory? Dustin has been right every step of the way. He has. He's
3: never wrong. And he said that uh, Vecna is just the the, what he called the four-star general the, the mind flayer was the he's the big guy. He's the one that's really running everything. And okay. that Vecna was just basically his.
1: So let's talk about the 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 dust that the Russians have. That's clearly part of the mind flayer. Right. That mm-hmm. gets into the monsters, right? It goes into the monsters, which is why when he kills the one, like they all fall, mm-hmm. right? Because they have hive mind. And at that point, the mind flayer is taking control of all the mm-hmm. demo gorgons. Um, yeah. Is the mind flayer the bigger evil is he do we does vecna think he's using the mind flayer but really the mind flayer is using him
2: so would it be like lord of the rings with sauron yes yes exactly so that i could see that maybe um yeah i well and the duffer brothers are big
1: fans of homages
0: mm-hmm. so
1: i could see that here's the other thing that i think you should be prepared for is vecna Eleven's dad because Eleven so, for, for more Jesus imagery,
2: Eleven's birth is highly mysterious. We don't we don't have a dad. They kind of made it sound like they were cloning parts. Yeah, maybe. Are in planning, I guess. But are we gonna get a I am your father
3: moment? I, I really hope not, because Vecna also implied oh. that eleven because he makes reference that he said, I hope to one day that you would be by my side. What is he implying?
2: Um, because it's a father-daughter ruling fest over mm-hmm. the world. Was he yeah.
3: implying that or was he implying the bride? Which I hope it's father-daughter because she's a baby when he said yeah. it to her. And it's, that was just creepy.
2: It's been subtle, but it's um, there. There's foreshadowing there. What is big in the 80s? Star Wars. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. The homage is there.
1: And it then the Duffer could, brothers clearly like playing on the entertainment of the 80s. And
2: I mean, it seems like 11 and 1 do have a connection.
3: Well, because they're a lot alike.
1: Something.
2: And so, dun dun dun. Something to think
1: about, definitely. Um, I think we're all excited for season five. And it's going to be great when it comes out in two years.
3: <laughs> Will's going to be evil.
1: <laughs> yeah will uh, will still a mysterious character in that way um he was itching the back of his neck yeah what do you guys think the listeners out there tell us what you think uh when we post this pod to our social media tell us your theories on where season five is gonna go what's gonna happen who's gonna buy the farm uh who's gonna live all your thoughts and theories and and tell us what you agreed with what you disagreed with uh as far as what we talked about here on about season four We'd love to hear it. And while you're while you're on the internet, why not follow us on Facebook or Twitter and then uh, rate and review and subscribe to our podcast? Please and thank you. All of these things help us out immensely, um, but we want to make sure and just thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening to the pod, and uh, we'll see you next week.